You're listening to the Versus Node podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. Welcome to GamerNodes vs. Node Podcast. My name is Eddie Anzato, Website Director, and I'm here with Christos Reed, Columnist and Writer Extraordinaire, as well as Sinan Kubba, the host of the Big Red Potion Podcast and Editorial and Features Director at TheGameReviews.com. How are you, Sinan? I'm excellent. Uh, yeah, that's all true as of like yesterday. <laughs> it's been kind of uh, quick and sudden that uh, taking on that new position, but yeah, so... Uh... Very exciting. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to uh, fill the shoes uh, of the previous occupier. Uh, oh, who is that? Uh, some Italian guy. I can't remember his name. Like Edward <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, that that was me. Um, but I've relinquished my duties over there. I will contribute, though. Um, how are you, Christos? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm relaxing on my. On my uh, Friday afternoon, I'm looking forward to my weekend, finally. Beautiful. I've been adventuring in the rain and digging up weeds on a baseball field for the past four days, so it's a pleasure to sit down and actually use my mind a little bit. So this is going to be all right. A bit like so, Animal Crossing then, really, Eddie? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I love that game. But uh, speaking of games, what have you guys been playing? Anything good? Uh, yeah, I've been playing uh, The World Ends With You uh, over oh. the last sort of week. Yeah, I'm keeping it modern with uh, a nice 2008 game. Uh, yeah, it was one uh, Joe D'Elia, my co-host over at Big Red Potion, recommended to me, and I was incredibly cynical about it because of the sort of the, the dual-screen uh, combat where you've got two characters and one character's fighting on the top screen, the other character's fighting on the bottom screen, and I kind of assumed that would be way too much to... Uh, like <laughs> I don't know, I, just, I find it tough to play those kind of games. And, and the World Energy has very complicated combat with just one screen, let alone with two screens. But it, it very cleverly just shuffles you from one screen to the next with kind of like these sort of bonuses to reward you of sticking with one screen and moving to the next one. And it's just, it's actually for all my cynicism about it, all my skepticism, a really, really classy game which not enough people have played. So uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't played it. it myself, but I've heard only good things. Yeah, and it's it's one that kind of died away because it, you know Square Enix didn't really push it, and uh, you know it's a, a handheld game to start off with. But it's, I think it's actually one of the strongest titles actually that came out last mm. year. Well, they didn't push it because it didn't have the word fantasy in the title. <laughs> I mean, of course. <laughs> right. I mean, and and the combat itself was really really experimental, and uh, uh-huh. I mean, but at the same time, like the whole sort of image of it is completely like Nomura porn really in terms of like it's just uh he he gets full license to make as ridiculous looking characters and uh outfits <laughs> as possible it's even more so than final fantasy because he's got the whole sort of uh tokyo edge to it so right uh, it's kind of like quite standard fare in, in a lot of ways for square enix but at the same time that combat just i guess they felt it was too much of a barrier hmm well i like experimental stuff so one day i'll get into it hopefully i'll feel the same way about it as everyone else how about you, Chris? Anything good? I've been playing two games in the last uh, week and one game today. My two games of the last week were um, Red Faction Guerrilla that I was reviewing. That was that was great fun. I like the ability to... Um, well, you remember in the first podcast we were talking about the guy at MIT that said it would be great just to drill straight down through all the bedrock to the dragon right. at the bottom of the cave and kill him. And that is essentially what Red Faction is. I walked into a big ruin, and there were all these paths I could have taken, but the room I needed to go into was next to me, so I simply whipped out a sledgehammer, smashed my way through the wall, walked through, completed mission, done. I got all the way up to the end, and then the three red lights of death came up on my Xbox. Oh! Which was devastating, but... I'm devastated uh, just hearing it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, luckily for me, uh, my girlfriend's Xbox Premium sits about two feet away, so all oh, is not good. lost. But uh, I was also playing uh, Dragonica, which is sort of like a 
it's quite hard to, to describe. It's sort of um, it's a side-scrolling Devil May Cry meets M Mortal Kombat meets. World of Warcraft. Wait, hang I'm on. Kind of, why, why, why? I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really stretching here. It's a really hard game to define. It's essentially uh, like super deformed chibi manga characters in a side-scrolling sort of World of Warcraft experience. But the moves are something out of Devil May Cry or Ninja Gaiden because it's all air juggling and slam attacks and just completely ridiculous magician abilities and absolutely terrible at first but it's it's turned out remarkably well it's it's kept me up to five in the morning so it's done pretty well but speaking wow. of ninja gaiden i just i just got back from uh seeing ninja gaiden sigma 2 in central london and that was that was a remarkably good game i mean ninja gaiden 2 was great but the camera sucked and essentially what they've done with ninja gaiden sigma 2 after almost a year is fix the camera so, mm -hmm. ask and they will provide, I suppose. But yeah, that's my uh, volley of games and Xbox-related depression for you there, isn't it? <laughs> um, as for me, I've been playing a little bit of um, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Summoner 2, and I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, because I'm still sort of getting getting the hang of everything, but I like how... It's an RPG, yet it brings you, speaking of Devil May Cry and all that, the battles are totally uh, real-time, and you have your sword and your gun, and it sort of breaks up the game, and uh, it, it's, I think it flows well. But I really have little to say about the game in its entirety as of yet. I will be reviewing it at some point. Have either of you guys played that? Uh, I don't. I, my, the only game I've played in the whole of the Shin Megami Tensei series is the the new online one. Imagine. Uh, oh yeah. Which uh, is just bizarre enough in itself. So I don't feel like I know the series at all. To be honest. They all are incredibly bizarre, but pretty awesome. The Persona games, especially, I liked a lot. Yeah, I, I do mean to to play the Persona games. I, I I've heard nothing but like you said, but good stuff about, especially Persona Four, which has yes. just come out over here quite recently actually all right so what has been happening recently besides uh the unfortunate demise of one of the greatest musical icons in the history of music yesterday which was very unfortunate it was a bit surreal for me because i was working at the time on my pc and i found out about it through twitter and i I'm starting to really dislike finding out about really important news events through Twitter. It feels dirty and wrong and like, I don't know, I feel like it says a lot about me that I'm finding out about these events through Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean just, um, I guess the, all of us techie sort of people as a whole, I mean, I find it sort of surreal and bizarre that we're finding out a lot of our news from, from Twitter and Facebook, especially after everything in Iran. I mean, obviously there's reasoning behind that because of all of the uh, prevention and censorship. They don't want news to get out, but it's interesting that it's all coming via social networking now, which is sort of a strange advance in uh, communication at the level of world news. So not to not to like put you down or anything. <laughs> no, I, I knew. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 obviously very very sad. I mean, uh, what one kind of sort of thinking about it a bit later, just wondering, you know, what we're going to see maybe uh, in terms of music games, kind of maybe a few tribute games coming out. Uh, I don't know. It's a bit weird to go there, but I'm just wondering, will there be sort of a, a guitar hero rock band thing? Maybe I'm not sure. Mm, yeah. Although it would be interesting to try to do Michael Jackson music with a rock band or, you know, a full guitar hero band. I Maybe guess it's doable. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. What's your what are your thoughts on it, Christos? I had a very, very weird night last night when I found out myself and my girlfriend were having some friends over for dinner and obviously Usually it's background music and everyone's looking at all these CDs and out of pure coincidence we put his greatest hits in and we we're about three songs in and then all the phones started ringing and we got all the news and it got confirmed within the hour. 
And I mm. thought that was so bizarre to sort of that he 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 died basically as we decided to choose to yeah. listen to his music. We're all singing away, and then sort of I I guess no one really kind of wanted to sing to it anymore. I I think it's a massive massive shame, mainly mm. because I was actually planning to go and see him this summer. Uh, oh yeah, he's London. playing in London. Yeah, he had 50 dates scheduled, and he wasn't really in the shape to do them as it was. But mm. I don't really think anyone saw it coming. It, it was a massive shame. I think it's a massive loss to right. music. But at the same time, as sad as it is, basically what he's given is pretty much eternal. It's just timeless. So I can't really be incredibly sad because, you know, he lived. It's part of life. You die. It, it was a little bit early, I, I'd say. And I think it was unfortunate that he had to live the sort of life that he did from childhood up till now. Just always, there's just always something, just an oppressive life he had. It's also going to be interesting now in the, in the whole aftermath of, to see what how much scrutiny is, is put upon the more negative sides of his life. And that I think it's going to be a very difficult time really for his family. So my thoughts go to them. Hmm. We should all uh, play Space Channel 5 in his honor. <laughs> there was the uh, the alien Michael Jackson. Did you guys play that game? Uh, I did not, but I'll do oh. it now in, in honor. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's made me seriously curious. <laughs> He's I one of the, the opponents. Exactly. That's that's what sold Men in Black 2 for me, mm -hmm. was him uh, him on screen asking to be Agent M. <laughs> I think I think you could sell anything to me by putting Michael Jackson in it. Though, if he does turn up in Rock Band or Guitar Hero, best of luck to anyone that tries to do uh, Eddie Van Halen's uh, Beat It solo on Expert. All right. <laughs> I'd be surprised if anyone could pull that off. Could be intense. All right, moving away from that now, because I think we've had enough uh, depression for a night in the morning. Um, what else is going on in video game news? You got anything else, Chris? Uh, I do. The weirdest bit of news that actually stopped me literally in my tracks when I saw it on my phone was the parent company of Bethesda, Zenimax Media, buying ID shortly before the release of, you know, Wolfenstein and then also the Doom and Quake franchises are going to go with them. Right, okay. I thought that was... I didn't see that coming in a million years. Mythic have also merged with another company and lost some really key staff, which has shocked a lot of people. But I just think that, I mean, Bethesda are a fantastic company to pair with. Um, if I could right. choose any company to sort of bring a company that's, to be fair, been struggling a little bit recently forward into sort of the next generation, I would probably peg Bethesda as a pretty good choice. Though, if anything, I'm quite surprised that they chose a company that, by and large, doesn't really focus on anything that they do in terms of game design. Well, the media that comes to, to my mind is, obviously, ID being so focused with first-person shooter games. I mean, with Fallout, one of the biggest complaints was of the shooting. Uh, Fallout 3, that, it, the, you know, that there wasn't really much to it, and the VAT system was kind of a cheat. I mean, that it would be great mm. to have the experience of the ID team to maybe improve the shooting of, of the new Fallout Vegas game. Yeah. I think Bethesda has been looking to improve their first-person shooting. I mean, from what I saw at E3, they were working with Splash Damage on Brink, which looks to be a great first-person shooter with RPG elements, things like that. And they have Rogue Warrior, another first-person shooter, straight first-person shooter. So I think they're really interested in getting more into that market than they have been in the past. And I think maybe Fallout was sort of a beginning, something like that. And now this is uh, their grand venture into the genre because few companies do it better than it. Absolutely. I mean, it, it it's kind of... A bit sad in some ways because it, it obviously were a giant back in, in the 90s and really uh, they have started struggling. But uh, I guess it's better than them just going away completely, which we've seen countless companies do so far this year. Yeah. What else is happening? Well, you've got um, 
You've got Mark Jacobs leaving Mythic shortly after they merged with Bioware, which I mm-hmm. mentioned briefly just now, which was quite a shock because, you know, as their staff have said, they're quoted as saying people are shocked and in disbelief about Mark leaving and that they just can't fathom that he'd leave, mainly because he was such an integral part, I suppose. It's kind of like, I mean, today I was really tempted to ask Team Ninja. I didn't because I didn't want to get thrown out, but I was really tempted to ask them about the departure of Tomonobu Itagaki. Mm. Because you get people that just slowly become the face of their company, and with Mythic, right. Mark Jacobs was one of the main people. So it's quite surprising he left, but then again, I suppose unless he was akin to Peter Molyneux and his massive involvement in development, I don't really think the quality of their... Uh, their uh, games is going to dip or change in the same way that Rockstar bending over the Max Payne franchise has uh, done in recent months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully they'll they'll remain consistent and produce really good stuff still. Yeah. With Team Ninja, they I I think they wouldn't have thrown you out because I've been they've been bending over backwards to say we can do stuff without Itagaki. We and. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll wait for the next game really to find out. But it, like you say, I I, I think a lot of, they will lose a lot of interest because really Itagaki was not just the face but kind of the soul of Team Ninja. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of people who are quite cynical about what they will do without him. I started wearing cowboy hats everywhere I went because of him and sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite an impact. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, when uh, Team Ninja were talking this afternoon... The press event was also dedicated to the fact that Koei Tecmo Europe Limited was being formed, and it was their first press event as a joint company. And it was quite interesting because they finally dropped the whole we're better than Itagagi, because, let's be honest, I think the only thing he really brought Team Ninja was a lot of arrogance and jiggle physics, and neither of those would be massively positive. But it was quite interesting watching the CEO of the company talk because he was essentially outlining what sounded like a plan for some kind of world domination on the scale of Microsoft and OSs. He was stating that they're going to become like one of the major players in the video game industry and they're going to uh, dominate all of these genres. And then uh, the uh, CEO of uh, Sony Computer Entertainment popped up on the screen behind him saying, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you rule my bitches. Nice. But it should be interesting to see where they go. I just, I have a feeling that they're going to say all of this and then all that's going to happen is we're going to get two Jiggle Physics games every year instead of one. Right. That's funny that you mentioned Jiggle Physics because as uh, trivial as that may be, I feel like it it has impacted the industry in terms of... uh, prepubescent boys, you know, wanting to get their hands on some games and look at some jiggle, unfortunately. It's quite disturbing, really, when you consider that um, the amount of technological skill that goes into introducing a physics, a part of a physics engine that can actually render moving muscle and tissue on a human being was Mm -hmm. devoted to that part of the human anatomy, because... I suppose you could argue the same way that I wouldn't complain if it was, for example, somebody's like a Mark Phoenix's pectoral muscles mm-hmm. sort of rippling away. But at the same time, I just, it's kind of like all the mods you see for Oblivion and Fallout 3 and things that are along this same sort of immature lines as these people have got this massive technological capability, but they don't seem to get far enough beyond what is essentially at the moment giving Japan quite a bad image in terms of the disturbing content they've been producing recently mm. well, yeah, absolutely i mean it's, it's key to say japan because i think you know games say a game like soul Calibur Four. i think we've kind of in the west got a bit sick well really sick of the, the physics and that but in japan i just wonder how much of a of a selling point it is i mean i don't mean to say that in a bad way i mean i just wonder if they did take it away how many of their fan base would be annoyed enough to not buy those games and uh I suspect it's embarrassingly larger than those game companies would prefer to admit. Mm. Definitely. I completely agree with you. I think that the biggest problem at the moment is trying to establish an image for Japan as a game development company that isn't simply, 
a load of perverts and then Nintendo because with games like Rape Play where interestingly enough actually uh, in the States it's now actually a federal offence to own the game mm-hmm. uh, obviously because one of the characters in it one of the well victims as it were is 10 years old I just think it's a case of them bringing out a lot more content that say you know we are Japan we are the dominant video game country and they used to be and it's such a shame that it's slowly beginning to progress this way i mean but it's it's beginning to influence western culture as well sinan was really right to bring up the example of soul caliber 4 i think ign did an article where they were talking about the progression of the ivy character which is the main source of criticism yep. over the four <laughs> yeah. games and i think it's you know readily apparent i was a huge soul caliber 2 fan i played it for hours and hours every day I saw Soul Calibur 4 and I played Soul Calibur 3 in the arcades in central London and the difference between games, I suppose it's just something you've got to get over but unfortunately you do get publications that tend to focus on it to the point where it's difficult to introduce prepubescent males to an environment where you can explain to them that sex is not the main focus of Japanese video games because you've got contradictory evidence all around you and even in some cases advertised on your website through sort of the three MMORPG adverts which are getting kind of dodgier by the day really I suppose mm. well but you could argue <laughs> not saying that I'm going to but you could argue that all of this over sensationalization of the female form the human body is in a way artistic because people always take the human form and you have art classes devoted to drawing, painting, naked human bodies. But where do you draw the line, I guess? That kind of is my segue into our topic at hand today is art in games, games as art. It's a popular discussion for years now and I think more and more so as the visual and audio fidelity just becomes better and better as we progress forward with the technology. So why not talk about it here on Versus Node? I think the first thing that really comes up is the question of are games art or aren't they, and which games, if so, would be called art and which wouldn't. And that's sort of something that really has a lot of fuzzy lines to it. So what I kind of want to do at first is to define art. I mean, because that's a big question. If you don't know exactly what art is, then how can you say something is or isn't art? So um, actually, I guess I want to open it up to the two of you. Uh, Sinan, first, what what do you call art? Like, how would you define art itself? Uh, You sure you don't want to go to Crystal's first? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You've done it to me before. This is revenge, my friend. Absolutely. I mean, it was just a few weeks ago we did an episode on my podcast, not to plug it too much, but we talked about how to define video games, and we found that tricky enough, and I came up in that. And uh, uh, it's difficult. I mean, a lot of people say art is related to create something that's created, uh, something that has uh, cultural relevance is another thing that people like to put on the art. at the end of the day, this is, I, I don't want to dodge the question too much, but I think when you want, if you're getting to saying, you know, how do you define art, are video games part of art? It's, it's about how much of this discussion is really semantic and relevant. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's interesting that one of the first stumbling blocks to this, this discussion is how to define all the entities involved. Right. I guess what I'm, I'm arguing really is, uh, really to and we're skipping ahead of quite a lot of discussion is is in terms of other semantics relevant and really what 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 are we hoping to achieve by the discussion not that i think it isn't important but what what's the end goal of really if we're able to define art and if we're able to define video games we're able to categorically say video games are art what 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 do we achieve by that hmm that is that's an excellent question it's sort of diffusing our whole discussion. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah, well, he wants to keep the podcast short, so... <laughs> yep, okay, we're done. It's irrelevant. No. Um, no. I think it's important because what we want to do is make this media, make our pastime, our hobby, our 
passion for some of us appear more relevant in popular culture because at this juncture I feel like it's still looked down upon from a variety of angles as something that is lesser than a lot of other mediums such as film or literature and to categorically say that yes video games are art and they are worthy of discussion and worthy of analysis and worthy of study and and worthy of the effort that a developer might put into a game to make it such uh, I think that that's really where I'd like to see these discussions lead to just a greater acceptance of what we have going. Right. And what I, do you guys I, think? I mean, I guess what you're kind of referring to that primarily with, with saying that is really Roger Ebert's comments uh, a while back when he said video games categorically aren't art, which incensed pretty much every uh, <laughs> gamer who was aware of that comment. Uh, Right. Rightly so. I mean, it's 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 it was such a damning and uh, ridiculous comment. And we we obviously when we did the show with you, we had Trevor Dodge on who called Roger Ebert a moron for that comment. And uh, you know, in reflection, I'm more inclined to agree with him because uh, really, Roger Ebert hasn't played video games, so who, who is he to talk about it? And it's that's where I guess I'm getting at with my thought is in terms of. You know, who we want that recognition from maybe other mediums from uh, right. from the intellectual body, but when you know, at the end of the day, video games are now the most successful commercial medium ahead of mm-hmm. movies. You know, uh, it wasn't that long ago that movies were trouncing video games, and now it's the other way around. And I, that's, I guess, where what, I, what I'm arguing. But I certainly think there is a lot of merit. I don't mean to diffuse your discussion. I think there's a lot of merit in the discussion. No, I'm just kidding. You're not diffusing anything. It's a very stimulating question, actually. So your final definition, though, of art was... (laughs) You said it, but I sort of lost it after the whole discussion. You said something... I that thought I took successfully, but it dodged it, to be honest. Um, I I guess I I would primarily define it as something that's been created uh, with the... With the with the reason of being interpreted, uh, yeah, I guess in that sense, with, with the goal of being interpreted by someone. Okay, Christos, do you have a definition or any more input to the the bigger scheme of things, the bigger discussion? To um, to see gone from his, because I think to be fair, if I didn't have a if I didn't have a solid definition of art, I think I'd probably be fairly derelict to my duty as an English graduate. Uh-huh. Um, I think that the way I would define art in terms of video games and generally is twofold. Um, both probably more from a, a British Oxford English perspective, um, which is either an expression of creativity through a variety of mediums. Obviously, the most common of those examples being painting and sculpture Mm -hmm. and music, I suppose. But the second one that I actually think more interesting, uh, mainly because I've been reading a lot of articles recently on things like speedrunning in games and things like that, is art and video games being an actual art as a skill, like the art of conversation, for example. Right. But the art of video games being amazingly skilled people that can complete Ninja Gaiden at the highest difficulty. Alternatively, you could also say maybe a game is art simply because it's pretty. I mean, I would classify Braid as all three definitions of a game is art. And I know I've probably redeemed myself in Eddie's eyes by bringing that up as an example. (laughs) But I think it's a brilliant definition because not only does it contain very inspired very complex wonderful literature but it also combines a brilliant art style and it requires a large amount of skill to actually finish the game and solve all the puzzles i mean it's no it's no mean feat that's not an arcade game you could give to a two-year-old i think that Games, I think it, it goes back and forth, really, doesn't it? As some people say that games aren't art simply because they are base forms of entertainment for people to shoot other people. But 
I suppose you could argue that if games weren't art, we would have no need for cinematographers on Gears of War. We would have no need for art directors at Lionhead. And right. I think that to create a universe is art. I mean, it is still creativity, I suppose. I would say the exceptions to this rule are probably things more based around history, such as the Call of Duty titles, but again, you could also argue against that by saying this is true, but what about, for example, my university has a big building where Lord Admiral Nelson lay dead for a little while, and it's called the Painted Hall, and all above it are loads of amazing... Uh, motifs and frescoes of him at war and him surrounded by angels and it's all a little ridiculous and very over the top but it illustrates the point well which is there can be art of history but I find that tends to be less art simply because it's so representative it's almost like just a pictorial story yeah and then you get the sort of random definitions of art I mean I've seen a I walked past like a, a hundred thousand pound painting, which was a blank canvas that someone had sliced in half with a steak knife. And right. to me, that's not art. But then again, to me, neither is Ninja Gaiden. But to some people, it is. To people that walk through the streets of Neo Tokyo and see rose, rose petals sort of drifting in the wind and stuff, that's art to them. So right. I suppose art is always, I suppose, going to in terms of definition, depend on your point of view. I think we sort of hit on the main points. Uh, the two of you sort of covered everything that I wanted to say, was that mainly I had two, was that something that is created, anything created that is not uh, naturally occurring, you know, not part of nature, although you could say nature is art, and then the skill or craft um, the actual act of doing something is an art of whatever that may be. And then you, the two of you brought in expression and uh, appreciation, interpretation, the, the uh, intention with which these things are created. So I guess if, if we were to look at games from those three perspectives, I feel that you could find all of them in maybe all three in one game, maybe one or two in one game and not the third, and maybe where you may not see all the beauty or interpretation, yet the game requires an immense amount of skill to produce the desired results within the game world, you have created an art of playing the game. So basically different layers of art in one gaming experience, or any group of gaming experiences right i think it was it's fascinating what you just said and in terms of what crystal said in in terms of certain games that he would regard as art and certain games that he would not and i guess one of the first things I, i'd say in terms of the definitions you've both offered is that really i'd, I'd say all video games are art under both de those definitions uh well, the things that you said were were requirements for being art, and why I would argue that is that uh, maybe you don't see the prettiness, maybe of say something like Tiger Woods or uh, even just Space Invaders, but it doesn't mean that there isn't uh, a visual quality to it. It's just that you don't necessarily appreciate it to such an extent that you would consider it relevant important but it's still there in, in, mm -hmm. again this is getting into semantic terms uh and this is one of the things I, a, a blogger called spencer greenwood who writes a noble carrots uh blog he wrote about it it's there's a difference in terms of just defining games as art and defining them as high art and i would argue that without doubt all games are art in terms of they are created and they can be interpreted whatever all the things we said they have a prettiness factor even if it, it's not necessarily that pretty they still can be looked at and we go that's nice or not nice that's still uh, on the scale of prettiness but in terms of what high art in terms of all the things that people consider high art to to hold i think that's where the debate is really interesting mm -hmm. sort of where does the definition of high art versus uh general art 
where where is that line and we're wondering where where video games fall in relation to that line right i mean and in, 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 in to make it even simpler terms i mean i could get onto a piano and bang out three notes and that would be art mm. uh, because but you it created it. Yeah, I created it, and uh, it has its own qualities, and uh, it can be interpreted, and it doesn't mean that anyone should take it to a gallery or put it on a recording or whatever. It it just means that it's, in terms of semantics, it's art. But I I, uh, I, I guess it's, it's also interesting that you bo- you brought up Braid, Christos, because that's really the game that sparked this all off again, this, the game versus, uh, games being art debate, because, and I think a lot of it is because it's a very pretty game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have the braid, uh, the initial braid screen without the title, as my background on my laptop because, as everyone knows, I'm quite a big fanboy. Really? It's it's never have guessed. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was sitting in the airport, and um, a lady walked by and she said, "Oh, that's beautiful art. Did you paint that?" And I said, no, no, I wish. But when you look at some of the work in that game in particular, it conjures images of other, I guess, impressionist painters. I mean, I could see this being a Van Gogh, what I'm looking at right now, just because it's so well done. And I believe it is, as you'd say, high art visually. Definitely. I'm going to be the rebellious bastard here and actually say that if I had to choose between art by Van Gogh and art by the artist hired by Jonathan Blow, I would actually choose Jonathan Blow's artist. Oh. I think that I think that Van Gogh is a magnificent painter, but I think in terms of art, I don't know, there's something about art that essentially has become this staple mark. Van Gogh, Picasso, um, the Statue of David, all of this stuff has become quite, well it's stale, art is all about freedom of expression and things like this, but the problem with older art, high art, I find is once it's so covered by history, it, it's it's no longer as artistic as it was. I mean, when I was in H&V today, I was browsing around and I saw they're actually selling Sega Mega Drives with 15 games brand new in the box and I thought that's fantastic and I'm looking at all these games and all the memories that come with these games and I was thinking how groundbreaking they were in terms of colour and art design and style and gameplay mechanics and I'm thinking well back then these games were art because they were new exciting creative expressions but nowadays Sonic is steeped in so much history and apparently some kind of werewolf disease (laughs) <laughs> that turns all his games into piles of sludge. The it's just not it's not as artistic as I was. But <laughs> I can stop being rebellious now. Well, I'm, no, I think... I'm gonna completely disagree with that. I think uh, if we're gonna go, we've, we're using paintings as kind of a cultural parallel. There are a lot of painters who have negative associations through paintings they painted in their later life, which are maybe slightly rebellious, slightly senile in, in some cases. Um, I don't think... I think, if anything, that it adds to the previous paintings, it adds to the painter's profile, and I think, in some ways, even if it's a negative connotation, Sonic's later forms, where Hog uh, included, unfortunately, that, that that's part of what Sonic is, and I think, uh, even if there's a negative side to it, I think the Sonic saga is actually one of the most interesting uh, in gaming, and I think it, there's plenty of artistic consideration in terms of that in terms of where they how especially visually in terms of the third dimension that's it's fascinating to how how you know sonic and mario both approach that Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's one thing that i wanted to say is the art is not only in the the game and in the player but also all the way back to the developer and the art of creating what the final product is so no matter what it is, the thought and effort that goes into every little design is indeed art. I mean, they work hard, and they have to be creative to come up with what they're producing. And I think that's sort of feeds off the whole design aspects of Sonic and any character over time. Right. 
Just uh, interesting to ask, to ask you, Eddie, about Braid, because you mentioned you, it was high art, in, in your opinion, because of its visual qualities. But a lot of people would have... It, it got suggested as being a high art by people because of its deeper philosophical and uh, theological considerations in, in terms of its story and all that uh, hidden subtext. Like, mm-hmm. do you think, which one do you think is more important for Braid, its visual quality or, or the deeper meanings within it? Personally, the the thing about Braid that stood out the most to me was the storytelling and everything that went along with progressing through the game and the discovery uh, at the end, which I won't talk about. So it, as a video game and as something that I feel was very important for the industry and pushing things forward, being progressive, definitely the storyline. But from a casual perspective, looking at the game and listening to the game, the art was clearly evident right at the onset when you're looking at it and listening to it. So that may have been more instrumental in beginning the discussion among a greater number of people. Yeah, I think uh, that that's probably true in both cases. I mean, I I, I guess I, I was thinking in terms of high art and because uh, for me, it's difficult. I've I not really. St- I did art at a school level up to GCSE, no long, no further than that. And I, I only know so much about paintings and sculpture. But I, uh, like Christos, I think it's important as a commentator on games to uh, understand what art is. And uh, I guess I, I find it a bit worrying that uh, I think I, I, it saddens me because I think Braid is more important for its storytelling in, in both senses. But I, I agree with you. More people went to think of it as art because of how it looks and sounds, which is you know, fine. I don't know. I just, I think maybe for video games, uh, it would be really interesting if people were less anti-blow and his whole, uh, you've not interpreting the right way thing. And actually just took braid, took the developer out of the equation and really looked at braid and, and considered how it did its storytelling and what that means for games as an artistic medium. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I'm actually going to sort of support that. Um, in English literature, sort of criticism filled with theory, there's a very famous theorist called Roland Barthes who wrote an essay once called The Death of the Author. And the concept behind it is essentially looking at a piece of literature, but removing the author completely to the point where you could read, for example, Jane Austen's Mansfield Park and look at it without Jane Austen. So suddenly it's not a feminist novel, it's not a novel about independence or racism or slavery. All of a sudden it's just simply a novel about someone that gets kicked out of their house and has to go live somewhere else. Mm. And I think to strip away all the preconceptions, because for me, if I'm playing a game, and Tim Schafer is a great example, because for the first time ever, he's put the words, a Tim Schafer game, on the front cover of Brutal Legend. And I think that influences my decision before I even start playing the game, what the game is actually going to be like, because I know if it's Tim Schafer, it's going to be funny, it's going to be quirky and deep and entertaining. I know if it's Tomonobu Itagaki, I know it's going to be ridiculously immature and have tons of blood and jiggle physics. I know that (laughs) if it's Shigeru Miyamoto, it's going to be one of the best games I've ever played. But to strip away all those preconceptions you may end up actually playing a better game, I suppose. I mean, with Braid, I didn't know a lot about Jonathan Blow when I first played Braid, and neither did a lot of people, I think. And I loved it. But the more he talked, (laughs) the further away from the game I started to get, simply because he was a brilliant innovator and a fantastic artist, in my opinion. But he also made himself look like a bit of an asshole in the press because he suddenly <laughs> became so arrogant. And mm-hmm. I don't really understand why. I mean, he created this beautiful piece of art and, in my opinion, really put everything else on the Xbox Live Arcade completely to shame. But at the same time, people were approaching him saying, well, what does the story mean? Because, I mean, Jesus, I've been studying story in detail for three years now and I haven't got the 
foggiest clue. <laughs> I've been coming up with theories for ages now, but I think that he's just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've sort of begun to spin off into a bizarre train of thought, but I guess my point is that if you strip away everything about it, bar just the art itself, I think it will speak to you on a more personal level than if mm-hmm. you enter into a video game with all the preconceptions that the media put in place. Yeah, that's true in all cases, I think. Just any time playing, like, when I review a game, I try to focus on only exactly what's there and nothing else. I don't, I try to read very little about it. I try to get rid of my own expectations and just play it for what it is. So I see what you're saying, because that can be applied to the observation of any art as well, because that's all we're really doing is we're we're observing and perceiving and then uh, spitting out what we think. And it's really relevant to video games now, because now we've got these uh, ringleaders, these directors who have become so uh, recognizable, uh, really in the last 10 years with games. And I'm thinking of Hideo Kojima... Uh, Peter Molyneux, uh, Shigeru Momoto, and it's you know, I think it's important to distinguish between someone like uh, Hideo Kojima and Jonathan Blow because Hideo Kojima throws himself into his games, but he doesn't really he, he doesn't engage in the meta uh, around them. Mm. And uh, then you've got Jonathan Blow who uh, clearly he put a lot of his own his, himself into the game, but kind of hid it away and didn't really like to like it when people poked at it and. Uh, didn't like their interpretations because it wasn't correct, which is very sad to think of an artistic property having a correct interpretation. I think that's very wrong. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with with Kojima, uh, you know, I think he's really been responsible for maybe the best candidates in gaming for being considered high art, even if they're not necessarily the best games. Simply because of the the completeness of the expression i guess you could say is that what you're getting at is um what he's saying with it making it almost poetic and i think that may be what you were getting at with braid also is the the visual and audio versus the sort of more poetic and literature-like nature of the game and i think hideo kojima puts a lot into what the game is saying what it's trying to expressed to the person who's taking it all in and I definitely agree with that I mean uh, Lee Lee Alexander wrote recently about um, Metal Gear Solid 4 and how you know for a lot of us we think it's about war and it's about uh, you know the the changing climates of the world and she was writing about how Hideo Kimi was really talking about himself and about uh, him being a a game designer who'd been cast off and been told Mm. you can't do one you've but you've gone past your prime, there's no more for you. And how that he kind of represented himself through Old Snake as uh, someone who is, nice. you know, not, shouldn't be there, but is still struggling on. And, you know, maybe she's wrong, but that, I think Kojima, that, that's the way he works. And I think that, you know, we're saying we, don't, we try to separate the developer from the game, but I think with Metal Gear Solid, he's so intrinsic to those games. Right. You can't really do that. I think just the fact that an article like that could be written about that game says a lot for the inherent art that lies therein. Yeah, and I would recommend people definitely go read it at uh, Leo Alexander's blog, which is uh, sexyvideogameland.blogspot.com. And uh, also, if you want to go to Spencer Greenwood's, he's written loads of stuff on the subject, so that's noblecarrots.com. Well, I guess it's about time to wrap it up. I think we've had a pretty good discussion, and I think my final question, besides our game's art, I'm sure I know both of your answers. Um, (laughs) The other one was, where does the art lie the most? And at first I was going to say in the game or in the gamer, and now I want to add or in the game designers. So what do you guys think, or is it all equal in different ways? <laughs> it's out there waiting to draw <laughs> that was the sound of 10 paces <laughs> I would say in terms of games that are 
definitely the developer becomes the artist at the end of the day. I read a ton of trashy sci-fi, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make me the author. Mm. Then again, I suppose if I decided to play Halo 3 every day until I could complete it in an hour and a half, then I would become an artist. But I suppose you'd always have to ask yourself the question, is it truly making the video game art to speedrun it? Or are you just using a different medium mm. in order to express yourself? Right. How about you, Sinan? Uh, my answer is going to sound really pompous and arrogant and something, and probably other negative things. Um, I think I think art lies in the gamer. Oh God, I really hate saying it, but I think it does. I think it lies in the person who's interpreting. I think you can create something, but if if there isn't someone there to interpret it, then it's just something that's there. And I think it's it's games are being considered as art because we are trying to consider them as art. Um, mm. It's not because they weren't art before; it's because now we are thinking about it and trying to look into the deeper the intricacies of games. And I I think that's exciting, and it's re- I think that's why really there is merit in the discussion because there will be better games produced by the, by this discussion. Maybe not immediately, but in the future. Right, and if you if you sound like the pompous, arrogant, pretentious, whatever gamer who wants to claim the credit, then I'm going to sound like the cop-out saying that art is pervasive throughout the entire process from the initial idea, its creation, the product, and the play. I think games through and through from beginning to end are art in a variety of different ways. And that's about all I have. Anything else you guys wanted to add? Not really. Um, I feel like well, I thank too much already. <laughs> no, no, no. I wanted you to talk. I like listening to you. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, I want to recommend www.bigredpotion.com, Sinan's podcast, to everyone who's listening to Versus Node. He's been a big influence on our show, and I thank you for that as well, and for having both of us, me and Christos, on your show before this one. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Christos, for being my impeccable co-host. And uh, I guess that's it. Catch you all later.